Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'd like you to open with me, if you will, in your own Bibles to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6 will be in verse 22 and following here in just a moment. Numbers chapter 6. Now, each week we kind of need to get reoriented as to where we're at in the book of Numbers. As of this point, the people are still at the foot of Mount Sinai. Believe it or not, a, a huge part of the first five books of the Old Testament take place in that one area at the foot of Mount Sinai. Remember the Exodus, they come out of Egypt, immediately they go to Mount Sinai, and then they camp there, they stay there for a good while. All the way through the second half of the book of Exodus, all the way through the book of Leviticus, and all the way through the first part of the book of Numbers, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And at this point in our text, people are about to set out. They're about to finally leave. But before they go, God wants to give them something. They're about to make this trek to Canaan. Remember, that's the ultimate place that they're going. This goes all the way back to Abraham, Father Abraham, where God promised the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. That's why we refer to it so often as the promised land. God promised this land to Abraham and his descendants. They're about to go take it. And God's going to lead them on this journey from Mount Sinai to the promised land. Interestingly enough, the journey only takes about two weeks. Now, two weeks in the wilderness is nothing to shake your head at. It's nothing to, to underestimate. But two weeks, compared to 40 years, is significant. And we're going to come up on that in our future weeks in, in our series on numbers. But today, we want to focus on what God is doing for them before they set out on this journey to the promised land. Let's read our text, Numbers chapter 6, starting in verse 22. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the, the priestly blessing. This is a, one of the more well-known parts of the Old Testament. You might have heard this referred to uh, in different seasons of your life. But today I want you to see three things about this blessing. We're going to take them in turn. I want you to see the source of the blessing... I want you to see the timing of the blessing, and I want you to see the fulfillment of this blessing. The source, the timing, and the fulfillment of the blessing. Let's take the first, the source of the blessing. Where does the blessing come from? Well, this might be blatantly obvious, but it's so important, you can't skip over it. The blessing comes from God. Look at verse 22. God says, Aaron, the way you bless the people... The way you bless them, verse 22 and 23, the way you bless them is you give them my blessing. Notice in the actual blessing, verses 24 through 26, over and over again, it says, the Lord, the Lord bless you, the Lord, the Lord, right? And then finally in verse 27, God says, I, I myself will bless them. God wants the people of Israel to see that he has blessed them. It is a blessing coming straight from his mouth. 
The source of the blessing is God. Now today, you may have blessings. You may be able to think of blessings in your life. In fact, you may have blessings from the most important and influential people in the world. But it means nothing if you don't have the Lord's blessing. You may have worldly blessings, and you may have blessings from influential people, but it means nothing if you do not have the Lord's blessing. You see, our natural instinct is to seek blessing from everywhere else but the Lord. This is our natural instinct as human beings. We seek the blessing of our boss or the blessing of potential clients. We seek the blessing from our teachers. We seek the blessing of our spouse, do we not? We seek the blessing of our parents, or our kids, or our grandkids. We seek the blessings of those on social media. And if I just do enough, they will be happy with me. If I'm successful, then I will be admired. If I give them what they want, then they will like me. We have a natural tendency to seek blessing everywhere else except for God. You remember Jacob in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three forefathers of the faith, so to speak. Well, Jacob had been promised a blessing from God before he was ever born. Before he was ever born, God promises to give a blessing to Jacob, specifically Jacob. Not necessarily his brother Esau, but Jacob, before he was ever born. And yet, he kept trying to steal a blessing from somewhere else. He kept trying to wrestle a blessing away from somewhere else, even though he had already been promised one before he was even born. He wrestled with Esau, even in the womb we read. He wrestled with Esau. And growing up together, he and his brother Esau, he sought to steal Esau's blessing, you remember? And even though Jacob had been promised a blessing from God, he felt like he had to go out and steal it. He just couldn't wait for it. And then he wrestled with Laban after his wrestling with Esau, he leaves and he goes to live with Laban. And he wrestles with Laban, first for his daughter Rachel and her hand in marriage, and then for Laban's sheep. But finally, finally Jacob wrestled with God. You remember this? Genesis chapter 33. Finally, Jacob wrestles with God himself, a physical wrestling match. And as he did so, he said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. You see, Jacob finally understood. He finally understood the blessing we truly need. The only way to be truly blessed is to be blessed by God himself. Blessings from anywhere else are not enough. Blessing from anyone else doesn't matter if you don't have the blessing from the Lord. But not only is it just a a blessing, a general blessing, a, a blessing of your life in broad terms... No, the greatest blessing that God can give us, and the blessing He wants to give you, is Himself. The greatest blessing that God can give you, the greatest blessing that you can receive from God, is Himself. It doesn't say in our text, may the Lord cause your days to be happy. It doesn't say, may He bless you with lots of children and grandchildren. May He grant you healthy livestock and fruitful fields. May He give you happy relationships. No, what does it say? It says, may he cause his face, his face, to shine on you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. See, you you might think this morning that the blessing that you most need is money. 
that you desperately need that blessing. You might think this morning the blessing that you most need is health or good kids. You might think the blessing that you most need this morning is a new job or even an end to your suffering or your anxiety. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the blessing that you most need is God. You need God Himself. You need to have Him. God's blessing is not a sunny life filled with smiles. God's blessing isn't Him bringing back Mayberry and a life like that. It's not God giving you a positive attitude and some self-esteem. No, God's blessing is when He gives you Himself. The greatest thing God can do for you is to make you forget about yourself and your own comforts and your own self-esteem and show you Himself and His glory in such a way that the sight of Him would eclipse every thought of self. And you would be left in awe and worship. This is the greatest thing God can do for any of us. Even salvation itself has this as its end. God giving us Himself. This is why when we teach the Bible, the most important application of a sermon or a Bible lesson or a Sunday school class, the most important application is not how to fix your marriage or how to get your finances in order or how you can slay your giants. No, the most important thing that I can do for you as a preacher is to give you a clear view of the glory of God. Because if you could see it, if any of us could see the glory of God clearly, we'd stop sinning. Our relationships would be completely healthy. We'd be taking bold risks for God and the gospel and the kingdom. If we could but see the glory of God, the most important thing I can do for you up here is to give you a clear picture of the glory of God. Because if we could have that, it would change everything. The greatest gift that God can give you is Himself. If the Israelites could have remembered this, the entire book of Numbers would be different. If the Israelites could have remembered this one thing, the entire book of Numbers would be different. As long as we have God, we have everything we need. Moses understood it. Back at Mount Sinai, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law from the Lord. And God tells Moses, He says, Moses, you're going to go with these people on a journey to Canaan, this journey that they're about to set out in the book of Numbers, God says, you're going to go. This is the latter part of the book of Exodus. You're going to go, Moses, and you're going to lead the people. But I'm not going to go with you because this is a stiff-necked people. I would just consume them on the way. And Moses says, well, then, God, you might as well kill us right now because without you, it's not worth it. We don't want the promised land if we can't have you We don't want a perfect paradise if we can't have you, because it won't be perfect. You are everything. You are the goal. You are what we want. Moses understood. Do you feel that this morning? Do you feel that? In Matthew 16, 26, Jesus says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and yet forfeits his soul? Or you could think about it this way, right along with what Moses was saying. If you could have heaven... If you could have paradise with no sin and no sickness and no pain and all the relationships that you ever wanted and all the good food and all the pleasures that you ever wanted and yet God wasn't there, 
Would you be okay with that? Would you take that deal? Do we love God for who He is? Do we want Him, or do we just want what He can give us? The greatest thing that He can give us is Himself, and that is what we need. That is what we desperately need. And so we see the source of the blessing. This blessing comes from God, but we also see the timing of this blessing this morning. Note the timing within the book of Numbers. They are about to set out on this two-week or so journey to Canaan, and God gives them this blessing before they go. Now, this is important. This is huge. God gives them this blessing before they go, before they set out. He does not bless them based on how well they perform. In fact, what has just happened weeks before? Weeks before, they're about to set out now, but weeks before, what has just happened? Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law from the Lord, and what were the people and Aaron doing at the foot of the mountain? Making a golden calf and worshiping it, reveling in their idolatry, replacing God with a piece of metal that could not speak or hear or talk. And so think about now that they are here at this point, and God is telling Aaron... Aaron, the one who was responsible, first and foremost, for that golden calf incident, God tells Aaron, Aaron, before you go, I want you to bless the people. I want you to give them these words from me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Do you realize how unworthy they would have felt hearing that at this point in time? You realize how humble this would have made them and how thankful they would be for the graciousness of God. When God says, the Lord be gracious to you, they're saying, yes, Lord, you have already been so gracious to us. You have killed every single one of us just a few weeks ago. So when God tells Aaron to give this blessing to the people, I want you to feel that, to feel the emotion behind this. Now, what's this mean for us, though? What's this mean for us? The fact that the blessing comes before they even leave. Well, God's blessing to you, God's blessing to me has come before our obedience. God's blessing comes before our obedience. God's blessing of forgiveness and adoption and eternal life come to us at the time of our baptism. As we begin our journey with God. He gives us this blessing. Before we have performed, before our obedience, He gives us this journey in the beginning, at the time of our baptism. It is not you obey and then He will bless you. No, it's He blesses us, then we go obey in the strength of that blessing. And there's a world of difference there. There's a world of difference. His favor does not depend on your performance. It is freely given to those who throw themselves onto the arms of Jesus. God is ready and willing to forgive and bless those who have worshipped other gods. Those of us who have let something else sit on the throne of our heart for so long, God is ready and willing to forgive and to bless you. He's ready and willing to forgive and bless those who have mocked Him with their sin and rebellion. Do you feel like that's you this morning? I have mocked God. I have rebelled against God so openly and without shame and without apology. And yet He is ready and willing to forgive 
and bless you. Why? Because the blessing does not come based on your performance. The blessing does not come after your obedience. It comes before. He is ready and willing to forgive and to bless those who have spit in his face. He's ready. You see, we are tempted to doubt God's favor toward us, are we not? We're tempted to doubt it. Time and time again, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, we are tempted to doubt God's favor toward us. We've been programmed by this world to seek rewards based on performance. That's what we've been programmed to do and to think. And God knows as we walk this journey with Him, we will be tempted to doubt His favor and His love for us. Just as the Israelites journeying with God in the wilderness were continually doubting God's goodness and His favor toward them, grumbling and complaining as they went. But when they had times of doubt, when those Israelites had times of doubt as they wandered in the wilderness, Aaron and Moses could always remind them of this blessing here in Numbers chapter 6. The blessing that God gave them before they ever set out on the journey. How He rested His favor upon them before they ever started out. The Lord bless you and keep you. And in the same way, when we are tempted to doubt God's love for us and His favor toward us, what do we do? We remember our baptism. Remember your baptism. When you are tempted to doubt God's love for you, to doubt His favor toward you, you remember what happened in those waters. You remember that physical act that you went through. I thank the Lord all the time that God gave me a physical thing that I was to do at the time that He saved me so that I could go back to that in my mind and remember. Remember not just words, but feelings. Remember smells. Remember what happened there. The promise that He made to me there that I find in Scripture. Paul says in Romans 6, starting in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul says, remember your baptism. Remember it. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s, once said this, For this reason, we must boldly and without fear hold fast to our baptism. And set it high against all sins and terrors of conscience. We must humbly admit, I know full well that I cannot do a single thing that is pure. But I am baptized. And through my baptism, God, who cannot lie, has bound himself in a covenant with me. He will not count my sin against me, but will slay it and blot it out. If anyone has fallen into sin, he should all the more remember his baptism. How God has here made a covenant with him to forgive all his sins. If only he will fight against them even unto death. Upon this truth, upon this alliance with God, a man must joyfully dare to rely. Isn't that beautiful? When you are tempted to doubt, think back to your baptism and the covenant with God that you made and that he made with you and the promise that he gave to you that at that moment he was forgiving you of your sins and giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit provided you abide in Christ. When we have doubts, we remember just like the Israelites, as they were doubted, or as they were doubting God on their journey, could remember this blessing here in Numbers chapter 6. 
But finally, this morning, I want you to see the fulfillment of the blessing. You see, when Jesus came and he taught, there were people who said they loved God's law. There were people who were experts in the Old Testament that bristled at the things that Jesus was saying. And they thought Jesus was trying to do away with the Old Testament. And what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we read in the Old Testament. And He is the fulfillment, the true and proper fulfillment of this promise that we read this morning. Notice that God had Aaron, his high priest, give the people the blessing. Do you see that in verses 22 and 23? It was Aaron, the high priest, specifically Aaron, who was to give this blessing. Right? You couldn't get it from anybody else. It had to be through Aaron. No one else gives it, and no one comes to get it except through Aaron, the high priest. And in the same way, we may only experience the true blessing of God through His Son, Jesus. It is only by Jesus that we may experience the true blessing of God. You can't get it from anywhere else. You can't get the blessing of God from anywhere you like. You have to go through Christ. If you want God's blessing, if you want to be at peace with God, if you want His face to shine upon you, you must come to Him through Christ. Jesus said Himself, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then what's He say? No one comes to the Father except through me. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. <coughs> Throughout Scripture, God is blessing people in Christ. But also throughout Scripture, what's the opposite of a blessing? In Scripture, what's the opposite of a blessing? It's a curse. You have blessings and curses. These are opposites to one another, especially as we see it in the Old Testament. Remember God telling Abraham, when He chose Abraham, when He set His favor upon Abraham, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, right? Blessings and curses, they're opposites to one another. Read the book of Deuteronomy sometime. God lays out the way of blessing, and then He lays out the way of curse. You can live in such a way to receive God's blessing, and you can live in such a way to receive a curse from Him. Blessings and curses are opposites. And I want you to see this morning, we are blessed. We are blessed because Jesus was cursed. We receive the blessing of God because Jesus received the curse in Galatians 3.10, it says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. All who try to work their way into salvation by law-keeping are under a curse. But then in Galatians 3.13, it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. We are blessed. We receive the blessing of God because He was cursed. We receive the blessing that we did not deserve because He receives the curse that He did not deserve. Ian Duguid, in his wonderful commentary on numbers, if you ever want to study numbers in a, a, a really beneficial way, buy that commentary and just read straight through it. Ian Duguid, he says this. He says, 
In fact, the cross is the very antithesis of the priestly benediction. That's the blessing we're talking about here. He says, did God the Father bless Jesus and keep him when he was on the cross? No. He handed him over into the power of those who hated him and wanted to kill him. Did God the Father make his face shine upon Jesus on the cross? No. He poured out his wrath and his crushing anger against sin upon him. Did God the Father turn his face toward Jesus on the cross and give him peace? No. He turned his face away from him so that Jesus cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus lifted his eyes toward heaven for the first time in all eternity, there was no answering light from the Father's face. Even the Son turned away its countenance from Jesus, as if the universe itself could no longer bear to look upon him. At that moment, for Jesus, there was no peace. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was broken for our sin. He was abandoned for our faithlessness. He was cursed for our blessing. We are blessed because He was cursed. Now finally this morning, as Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of this blessing, I want you to see verse 27. Look at it with me again. Verse 27. God says, In this way, so shall they put My name upon the people of Israel. They shall put My name upon them. This is highly significant. right? God puts His name onto someone. He is saying, That person is Mine. I have ownership over this person. They are mine. They are in my family. That's my children. I'm naming them. I'm giving my name to them, right? But what happens when we come to Jesus? What happens when we put our faith in Jesus and we're baptized into Him? He puts His name on us. He marks us as His. Listen to what it says in Revelation 14, verse 1. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. Now there's a lot of symbolic language in the book of Revelation. That 144,000, it's a symbolic number, symbolic of all of the people of God, right? The entire number of the people of God, the complete fulfillment of everyone who will be saved. But notice... They had His name, Jesus' name, on their forehead, and the name of His Father on their forehead. And this is opposed to those in that same chapter who have something else on them. Not the name of God, but the mark of the beast, right? Symbolic for those who would be enemies of God. And so, the question to you this morning is, will you allow God to give you His blessing through Christ, taking Christ's name upon you? Will you take His name and be identified with Him? Will you become a Christian? See how we take His name? Christian. Christ. Little Christ. Christ follower. Christian. Will you take His name? Will you let Him take ownership of you? Because it's the only way to receive this blessing. You cannot receive this blessing apart from Christ. He is the ultimate fulfillment of this blessing. When God gives this blessing in the Old Testament, ultimately He is thinking of the blessing that people will receive through Christ. The only way for God's face to shine upon you is if you are in Christ. The only way for God to lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, 
You want to have peace with God? The only way is through Christ and through the payment that He made on the cross for your sins. And so I ask you this morning, will you be reconciled to God through Christ? Will you take His name upon you? Let's pray. God, we we want to come to you and tell you that we think it is an undeserved privilege and a wonder that we could receive a blessing like this from you. That you, the creator of the universe, perfectly holy and pure, would look upon us, would cause your face to shine upon us, would give us peace with you, would give us your grace, that you would keep us. God, we do not deserve it. For those of us who have that blessing, we we cannot thank you enough. We cannot bow before you enough. We we are so humbled and in awe of the fact that you would, would do that for us through your son Jesus. God, for those of us in here who do not yet have that blessing, God, I pray that you would place on their hearts in such a deep way Jesus' words, what good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? It is not worth it. I pray that 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 would stick in people's minds. I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would use those words to convict hearts and bring them to yourself this morning. Bless people with yourself. Give them yourself, for without you we have nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.